and welcome to today's session of the Rooted course. Today is session six and we're going to be looking at the subject of baptism. So I'm not sure whether you've been baptized, what you believe about baptism, but I would like to try and take us through the biblical teaching about baptism today. Firstly, baptism is Jesus' idea. You will know if you've read the Bible that at the end of Matthew 28, we have what is known as the Great Commission. And there Jesus, as he's ascending to heaven, he gives us instruction to his disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So it is really this great commission in the end of Matthew's gospel where we learn about baptism. And if you look at what Jesus says here, there's an order that unfolds. He says to his disciples, I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to go and preach the gospel and and help people to become followers of mine. Go and make disciples, people that will be disciplined followers of the way of life that I'm teaching. Make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've taught you to do. And you'll notice that there's an order here. Jesus says, go and make disciples and then baptize them and then teach them everything else that they need to know about being a Christian. So baptism belongs at the beginning of the Christian faith. It's make someone a disciple and then at that point baptize them and then they're ready to start living the Christian life. And I believe this sequence is significant. Some churches do it the wrong way around. They first baptize people as babies, then they teach them, and then they hope to make them into a disciple of Jesus. But that's not really the way it's meant to work. You first make a disciple, then you baptize them, and then you grow them and help them to reach their potential in God. The Greek word baptize is an important word to to look at. Uh, it's pronounced baptizo in the Greek language. It's not a religious term, the word baptize. It was just your everyday Greek word meaning to submerge in water, to immerse. When people dyed garments, they were described as baptizing them, immersing them. If a ship were to sink at sea, it was described as having been baptized. It's just the plain Greek word meaning to immerse. So that's the background. Jesus is saying, go and make disciples, immerse them in water in the ceremony of baptism and teach them to obey everything I've taught you to do. 
The first mass baptism that we come across in the Bible is obviously the one that happens on the day of Pentecost. That's when the Holy Spirit is poured out. The new disciples are baptized, immersed in the Spirit of God. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up and preaches the gospel and 3,000 become followers of the way. And after Peter preaches his sermon, people are convicted and, and they say to Peter, what shall we do to be saved? What shall we do? And Peter's reply in verse 38 of Acts chapter 2 is repent and be baptized. He doesn't say, well, just believe in Jesus and that's good enough. He says, you need to change your lifestyle. You need to repent. And as I pointed out in the very earliest first session of the Rooted Course, repentance was always an important part of the gospel. It's what John the Baptist preached. It's what Jesus preached. It's what Peter preaches here. They cut to the heart. They say, what must we do about this gospel message, this announcement we've heard today? And Peter's reply is, repent and be baptized. So we need to believe in our hearts. That's taken for granted here, because why would we be cut to the heart if we didn't believe in our heart? We need to believe. We need to repent. There needs to be a commitment to a changed life, a commitment to following Jesus and to living by his principles and values. And then there's to be a baptism. That's the way we're to demonstrate our repentance and our belief. It's the way we're to publicly acknowledge Jesus. So Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. You're all included in this. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So baptism was the way in which people became Christians. That's why Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. It's the response that was called forth from people. And then he says, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And he says, this promise is for you and your children, meaning for you and your descendants to come, and for all who are far off, for all the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And verse 41 says, those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So clearly, this is a huge response to the gospel message. And think of how long it must have taken for 3,000 people to be baptized. Perhaps all of the disciples would have been, maybe all of the 120 in the upper room, we don't know, would have been involved in baptizing people that day. But the important thing to see in this passage is that being baptized was the way in which people responded openly to the gospel message. Of course, it was easier for people to be baptized in that day and age because they were all Jews and, and being baptized was a very uh, common thing to happen. 
The next story that involves baptism that I want to take us to is of the the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And we read his story in Acts chapter 8. Uh, this eunuch is someone would have, who would have been castrated as a child. This was a, a slave. This was a person who would have been serving um, in the, the courts uh, of the queen. He was an important official, we read in verse 27. In fact, he was the treasurer of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. So this is possibly the first African person who becomes a Christian and then takes the gospel back to, to Ethiopia. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he's sitting on the chariot and he's reading the book of Isaiah and he doesn't understand what he's reading. And the Holy Spirit tells Philip, go alongside this man in his chariot. Philip doesn't know why, but in obedience to the Spirit's prompting, he, he runs alongside the man in the chariot. He hears Isaiah being read. He says to the man, do you understand what you're reading? And the man's replies, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And he says to Philip, come up here into my chariot and explain the scripture to me. And they're reading from Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. And who can speak of his descendants? And the eunuch says to Philip, Philip, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. They get out of the chariot. They go down into the water. And Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch. And also we know it was by immersion because the Greek tells us they came up out of the water. And the spirit of the Lord took Philip away. So this is an amazing story of uh, the Ethiopian eunuch's conversion. And it's amazing to me how, even though they're in the desert, clearly when Philip had, had shared the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch, even though they're reading out of Isaiah the prophet, Philip must have mentioned baptism. Philip must have explained to the, to the Ethiopian that being baptized was the way, in, the right way in which to respond to the gospel message. Which is why Philip, as they're traveling along, says, oh, there's some water. Well, I want to be baptized. And there and then, Philip is baptized. Because that's how it's meant to work. Someone is meant to hear the gospel, respond to it, and be baptized there and then, and then go on to grow and to learn more of what Jesus taught. So clearly, 
Baptism was, was part of the gospel message that Philip included. He didn't tell the, the Ethiopian eunuch to simply invite Jesus into his heart. There was a, a, a call to, to demonstrate his faith through baptism. The next story I want us to look at, I've entitled A Jailbreak and a Baptism. And this story is found in Acts 16. And here, Paul and Silas are in jail. And they're not feeling sorry for themselves. They're singing hymns to God. And God sends an earthquake and their chains come off. And the prison doors fly open. And the jailer is ready to commit suicide. Because he feared that if his prisoners escaped, his life would be taken. And Paul says in verse 28 of Acts 16, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And they call for the lights to be turned on. And the jailer falls at the feet of Paul and Silas. And he also asks the question, what must I do to be saved? He, he's heard the hymn singing. He's heard Paul and Silas praying. And now he's seen a miracle. And now he's, he's amazed that these prisoners have not run away. And he says... He's obviously come to that point of belief, this jailer. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they reply, well, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Back then and still today, our families matter to God. And the gospel message is you need to be saved, you and your household. And what a wonderful thing it is when whole households come to, to follow Jesus. And that's what the promise is here. Jailer, believe in Jesus. You will be saved and you and your household. And then what is so amazing is in verse 32, it says, They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to everybody else in the house. This is not babies that are being preached to and, and ministered to, but people lived in extended families and there's a whole household. Maybe it consisted of slaves, grandparents, in-laws. There's a whole big household. The jailer goes home. He takes Paul and Silas. They, have, they preach and they teach the gospel. And then we read in verse 33, At that hour of the night... The jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family was baptized. This is another example for us of how baptism belongs at conversion. People didn't become Christians and then years later or weeks later be baptized. Being baptized was the way in which people expressed their belief. In the gospel, because Jesus had taught that's how it was to be done. Go and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. So maybe this happened at three in the morning, four in the morning, five in the morning, I don't know, but it's in the middle of the night. Again, baptism was obviously included as part of what was preached in the gospel message. Because again, it is it is the jailer that initiates. So the jailer's conversion is a, is a wonderful story. And again, we see baptism as an important part of his conversion experience. 
And then this, the third story I want to share is of Paul's conversion. And of course, this is the case study that we looked at in great detail in the first uh, session of the Rooted course. His conversion is, is covered in detail in, in Acts chapter 9. And we know that when he's blinded, Ananias goes to see Saul. And the message is, Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. Then we read, he got up and was baptized. There again, an important component of Saul's conversion. Believing, repenting, being filled with the Spirit and being baptized. Those four things all belong with the conversion experience. That's how we're properly birthed into the kingdom of God. So Saul immediately is, uh, is baptized by Ananias and he comes into the kingdom of God. So there are just a few examples of people being baptized in the book of Acts and we can learn what we've learned from that. So what is the, the meaning and purpose of baptism? Why is, there this, why is there this thing, baptism? Why is it necessary to get wet in order to become a Christian? So let me, let me deal with now the question of the meaning of baptism, its purpose. What role and function does baptism play? And number one... Baptism is the appropriate way to, for a person to indicate their acceptance of the gospel. Baptism is the appropriate way to show that you want to be a follower of Jesus. In Acts 2, people say, what must we do to be saved? The answer is repent and be baptized. And we see that same pattern being repeated again and again. And Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. Make disciples, baptize them, and then teach them to obey. So that is the role that baptism, baptism fulfilled in the, in the New Testament. And quite frankly, if you, hadn't, if you hadn't have been baptized, you were not regarded as being a Christian. Because being baptized was the way in which you became a follower of Jesus. The second aspect or function of baptism is it's a way of expressing repentance. Uh, and this is the way in which John the Baptist used baptism. He repurposed baptism because the Jews practiced many baptisms in their mikvahs. Uh, if they had touched a dead body, if a woman had finished her menstrual cycle, people uh, would, would take a bath and be ceremonially cleaned and cleansed. And this is the background for baptisms in the Old Testament. There were many uh, reasons for being baptized in the Old Testament. But John takes this concept of a, a ceremonial washing and he uses it to become a way for people to express that they want to repent of their old way of life. So that's what John the Baptist did. He, he stood by the River Jordan in the desert, 
That was his place where he preached. And he said to people, God is about to do something amazing. Get your life in order. Come and be baptized. And come and wash your sins away. And so John's whole message was about repentance, getting ready for what God was going to do, which was sending Jesus out to minister. We read about this in in Matthew 3. John came preaching in the desert saying, repent for the kingdom of God is here. Make straight paths for him. And we read in verse 6, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him. So confessing sins and being baptized by John the Baptist, those things are linked. It was also referred to as a baptism of repentance. And when people came to be baptized, sometimes out of peer pressure, because people knew that John was this amazing prophet from God, he would say to them, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, don't just be baptized, but don't change your life. So baptism is the way in which we are to respond to the gospel message. Secondly, it's got a a dynamic of repentance built into it. It's, It's symbolizing being cleansed, a washing away of sin. Thirdly, and this is very important, baptism became a way in the New Testament for new Christians to identify themselves with the death of Jesus on the cross, with his burial and resurrection. And Paul writes about this in Romans 6, verse 4. He says, don't you get it? Don't you know? All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, he's referring to people becoming Christians and being baptized. He says we were being baptized into his death. We were buried with him through baptism. And then he says in verse 5, if we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. Verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. So baptism really took on this meaning very strongly. That being baptized, going under the water in Jesus' name, became a symbol of dying with Christ. It was a way for people to identify themselves with the death of Jesus. They would stay under the water for a second or two as a a way of identifying with the burial of Christ. And then they would come up out of the water as a way of identifying themselves with the resurrection of Jesus. And so baptism was an object lesson in the gospel. It became a way of personally dramatizing and celebrating dying with Christ, being buried with Christ and rising to new life in Christ. And that's Paul's message in Romans chapter 6. Baptism was also, fourthly, a way to be open about your commitment. Baptism was done in a public place. It was a way of confessing with your mouth that you, you believed in your heart. Fifthly, baptism was 
your initiation into the body of Christ. It was the way for other Christians to hear your confession, your announcement of faith, and for them to say, we accept you into the the worldwide family of God. You're one of us. You're part of the body of Christ. And that's the function baptism fulfilled. We know how important it is to have ceremonies in life. When a person, when a person passes away, we, we have a funeral or a memorial service. It's important to, to do something to recognize that event. When a couple marries, we have a, a ceremony to mark that sacred occasion. A graduation, a coming of age, a 21st. Ceremonies are important in life. And baptism is the ceremony of someone accepting Christ. And finally, baptism signifies a fresh start in life. That you come up out of that new water, out of that water. You're a new person. If anyone is in Christ, uh, they're a new creation. And that's the reality that we celebrate when we are baptized. And I love baptismal services. Whether they happen in the sea, I was baptized in the sea, or whether they happen in a church, it's all good. It's people identifying themselves with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's a way of publicly responding to the gospel. It makes you feel clean and it becomes a milestone in your life that you can look back. It's the ceremony of when you joined the people of God. Well, that's how it's meant to function if we follow the biblical model of believe, be baptized, and then grow as a Christian. Baptism is an issue that many churches have many different beliefs on. I've tried to base my beliefs on the Bible and not on church tradition. And, and I, would, I would suggest that if you follow closely what the Bible teaches, there's no other way to, to fundamentally understand the role of baptism or how it should be done. Baptism was for believers, and it was at the beginning of their following of Jesus. So there are, it's a confusing subject for many because of the different traditions that have developed over time. And so I want to take now the second half of this rooted session and just deal with a whole lot of questions about baptism and hopefully shed some light on, on the subject. The first question that I want to deal with is the difference between Christian baptism and what John the Baptist was doing. Just because John was baptizing people, which of course he was, John the Baptist, doesn't mean that he was doing the same thing that the church was to do later or even on the day of Pentecost. What John the Baptist was doing was something completely different. John's calling in life was to prepare the, the environment, the spiritual environment for the coming of Jesus and his ministry. He was to flatten the, the rocky road. He was to get everything ready for Jesus' coming. So that's why John practiced baptism. It was a calling people to change their ways, to get right with God in the context of being Jews. 
in the context of and living under the Old Testament law. And we read about John the Baptist in, in Matthew 3, and you can read uh, why people came to John and, and what he was doing. In verse 11 says, I baptize you with water for repentance. So that's John the Baptist's ministry. Very different to what Jesus was doing and the disciples. So our takeaways here is that what John the Baptist was doing was not Christian baptism. He, he used baptism for immersing people in water for a different purpose. Jesus had not yet died, so of course those people being baptized with John were not expressing faith in Jesus. Some of them hadn't even heard of Jesus. They were not Christians. They were Jews responding to God under the old covenant. John the Baptist, in a sense, was leading a renewal movement, a revival movement within Judaism, preparing the house of Judah for the new covenant that God was going to establish with them. Then we, when we get to Acts 19, there's a very interesting story. So I want to read it because it's important. Acts 19, when Apollos was at Corinth, Paul went there to Ephesus and he found some disciples and he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? These are disciples in Ephesus. And they answer, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So then Paul asks another question. He says, well, Verse 3, what baptism did you receive? And they say, John's baptism. And then Paul says, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. And then we read, on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul placed his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. <clears throat> there were about 12 men in all. So this is a fascinating story. Paul arrives in Ephesus. He finds people who are disciples. They're disciples of John the Baptist. Paul says, have you received the Spirit? Because, of course, receiving the Spirit is an important part of becoming a Christian. They say no. Then Paul says, well, have you been baptized? They say, yes, well, only by John the Baptist. Then Paul says, no, well, then you need to be baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 5, that happens. So now they hear the gospel, they respond to it, they receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. So all the people baptized by John the Baptist were all baptized as Christians later on. Because what John did and what Jesus and the disciples did were, were two very different baptisms. Not the same thing at all. Another question that often comes up is why was Jesus baptized? And of course, we don't know exactly why Jesus was baptized, but we know it was. In Matthew 3, 
he has this little discussion with John because he comes to John the Baptist to be baptized. And John says, I'm not worthy of baptizing you. You should baptize me. And then Jesus says, no, um, let it be so uh, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. John gave in. All right, then. Okay, I will baptize you. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And that's when the Holy Spirit came upon him. And the voice saying, this is my son whom I love. So Jesus experienced John's baptism, even though he had no sin to repent of. And he didn't need to get ready for what God was doing because he was ready. God had been preparing him for 30 years. So why was Jesus baptized by John? Well, I believe it was in solidarity with the people. It was to affirm what God was doing through John. Perhaps it was also Jesus fulfilling all righteousness, living the life of the perfect human being, submitted to God in every way. And so being baptized was a way at that point of submitting to what God was saying and doing as a man. So John fulfills the law of God in every respect. And sorry, not John, Jesus. And he, he was also affirming John's ministry uh, through submitting to baptism with John. Another question that often comes out is, well, what about the baptisms mentioned in Hebrews chapter 6? Because there we're told we mustn't keep laying the same old foundation again and again. The foundation of repentance, of having faith in God. Instruction about baptisms. Uh, these baptisms, this is not referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit or Christian baptism. I think this is referring to those baptisms, those ceremonial washings that are part of the Old Testament culture and law. And hence they, in the book of Hebrews, which was written to Jewish converts and Jews, the diaspora, that's why that is mentioned there. The next question that often comes up is, if this is in fact what the Bible does teach about baptism, that it should be in response to the gospel when a person believes and by immersion, is it necessary to be baptized in order to be saved? Is, is it essential for salvation? And my answer is no, it is not. I believe that every person should be baptized because that is what Jesus commanded us to do. That's the Great Commission. Make disciples, baptize them and teach them. Why should we twist or change the clear teaching of Jesus? Why should we say, yes, Jesus, well, you said that, but our church, we've come up with a better way to do things. So I believe baptism is very important, that it serves a, a very important purpose in our lives. But I don't believe that if a person is not baptized properly as a believer and by immersion that they won't be saved. I think it is unfortunate. I don't think it is 
God's best for that individual. But if that is the way it is, I would not. I would certainly not say those people are not true Christians, because obviously. Uh, history shows us and experience that there are many godly people who love God and who are serving Him and who are filled with His Spirit who have not been baptized. So I don't believe it is essential. I do want to point out 1 Peter chapter 3 though, where Paul makes this statement, baptism now saves you. And you can look it up. It's uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 and it's in the notes. And there's this reference to the ark, Noah's ark, how the people in the ark were saved through the water. And uh, then in verse 21, Peter makes out and, and baptism has the similar effect of saving people today. Just as the ark was on the water and they were saved through the water and made alive by the Spirit, so today the, the symbolism of baptism saves us. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So... It is baptism being referred to here where it says it saves you. The it is baptism. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And let me reiterate what I said earlier. That it was unheard of in the first century to be a Christian and not to have been baptized in water. Because being baptized was the way in which people became Christians. And so Peter can write here, he can just assume that everybody who is a Christian uh, has been baptized. And he can say, well, it was, it was when you were baptized, that's what saved you. Because that was the moment when you had faith, when you believed the gospel and you responded to God. That's why he uses the term baptism saved you because he's referring to that act of responding to the gospel and of course that is what saves us but for Peter that always happened at the same time as faith where strangely and because of church tradition and some very odd beliefs that developed over the centuries people have separated baptism from that moment of believing can you be baptized more than once? That's an interesting question. If you were baptized as an infant by somebody else, should you be baptized as an adult, as a believer? I was baptized as an infant, and uh, I'm very grateful that my parents were believers, that they cared enough for me to do that. Uh, but as I studied the Bible, I came to a different conviction, the conviction I've shared with you today of what baptism is. And so without repudiating what they did, um, I chose to be baptized as a believer by immersion for myself. And so in my heart and in my experience, my true baptism was what happened to me when I was 18 uh, or 17, and I expressed my faith uh, and submitted to baptism. So I, it's my personal conviction that people that were only baptized as infants 
or who had a baptism that meant nothing to them, they weren't actually Christians at the time. Because sometimes, you know, when people go through that life stage, they think, well, I better be baptized or whatever. If it didn't really mean anything to you, then I believe you should be baptized as a believer and and finish up your finish off your conversion experience properly so that you can be properly birthed into God's kingdom. There's one other little question I want to deal with, and that is, does baptism in the church today correspond with circumcision in the Old Testament? After all, all male babies in the Old Testament were circumcised as a sign of being in a covenant relationship with God. And so people of the Reformed Church's tradition, they say, you know, that's why we baptize infants today, because it's a sign of the covenant relationship with God. In the Old Testament, babies were circumcised. That was a sign of the covenant. So in the New Testament era, era, we baptize our babies because it's the sign of of the covenant. So let me respond to this because I don't accept this line of reasoning at all. But I want to acknowledge that the Bible does say there is a link between circumcision in the Old Testament and baptism in the New Testament. But I want to show you what that link is. There is a point of comparison. And you need to turn to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. And there we read, In Christ the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and you've been given fullness in Christ. Verse 11, In Him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, But with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. And then verse 13 talks about, you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. So what's going on here is that the writer is talking about circumcision. But what corresponds to circumcision in the New Testament era and covenant? It's not what we do to babies. It's the circumcision of our hearts. And that is what happened at the time of conversion, not when a baby is born into a Christian home. Circumcision of the heart is what happens when you believe and when you repent, when the Holy Spirit does something to you and cuts off your sinful nature. And that is the the point of comparison. And so in the New Testament era, infant baptism isn't something that corresponds to circumcision on the Old Testament. Another interesting thought about circumcision is that It was a threat to life, as it were, of a vulnerable young male child. A knife would be brought to the child and the child would be cut. If the knife was just a foot higher, it would kill the child. And so it is with baptism as a symbol. 
uh, pushing someone underwater. If you kept them there, you'd kill them, you'd drown them. Baptism is also a threat to life. And that's part of the symbolism that corresponds to, to the symbolism of circumcision in the Old Testament. Let me end today's teaching with a critique of infant baptism. First point is that there's no mention of babies being baptized in the Bible. John the Baptist didn't baptize babies. And when mothers and parents brought their babies to Jesus, he didn't baptize them either. He placed his hands on them and he blessed them. And uh, we can do that today with, with our babies, with our infants. I've already mentioned that just because there's a, a reference to you and your household will be saved, that, that isn't a reference to you and your babies. Uh, that's a reference to you and the people living with you. You can all respond to the gospel. So for the first 200 years, there is no practice of infant baptism in the church at all. And this makes sense given the reason for baptism. Baptism was the way in which people who believed were to respond to the gospel. Baptism was reserved for people becoming disciples, not for infants who knew nothing about what was being done to them. Also, thirdly, baptism is a sign of repenting, of, of, of believing the gospel. Again, this is not something that a baby does. Uh, baptism is for people who believe, who, who cut to the heart. Also, with infant baptism, the symbol itself loses its symbolism. And the moment a symbol loses its sim symbolism, what have you got left? It is meant to be a, a symbol of, of, of an individual identifying themselves with the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. An infant can't do that. And, and so... If you change the meaning of baptism by changing the way it's done and when it's done and on whom it's done, you actually lose the central meaning of what it's for. Responding to the gospel, a sign of repenting and a way of identifying yourself with the death of Jesus on the cross. And so that is why baptism needs to be in water. It needs to be by immersion because you're, you're symbolizing dying. You're symbolizing being buried. And you're symbolizing getting a new life as you come up out of the water. And if you do that to a baby, you're not, you're not actually... Celebrating those things. At best, it's wishful thinking. I once had a conversation with a, with a minister from a reformed church who actually got quite hot under the collar by the fact that I'd not baptized my two children as when they were much younger. And I could tell that this well-meaning minister was, was very upset and actually quite angry with me. And he was angry that, that I had neglected to, to baptize my children. 
I told him that I dedicated my children and taken them to church to be blessed by the church, but that didn't cut it with him. He wanted them to have been baptized so that they could be considered part of God's covenant people. And I was able to point out 1 Corinthians 7 to him. Paul writes, And if a woman who has a husband who is not a believer, she must not divorce him. And then, in, and then in verse 14, there's this interesting verse. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Fifthly, I believe that infant baptism is is not the way we should approach matters because it changes the order of Matthew 28. Jesus' instruction was go and make disciples, then you baptize them. Don't, don't baptize a baby in the hope that it's going to now live up to what you've asked it to be. Sixthly, infant baptism gives rise to false hope. And this is a very serious thing. There are a lot of baptized people out there that all think they're Christians and they are not. And if you say, well, why are you a Christian? They'll say, well, I've been baptized. But it was not the kind of baptism the Bible teaches us to practice. And so baptizing babies gives people the false assurance that they're part of God's covenant people when they may very well not be. And even the churches that have practiced infant baptism have realized there's a problem with what they're doing, which is why they had to introduce confirmation, because they realized that the way they were practicing baptism was defective. So they've, they've added a new ceremony called confirmation, where the person baptized as an infant can now get up in church and confirm that what their parents did was good and they can confirm that they are now a believer. So that is the ceremony that got added to fix what was missing with the baptismal ceremony. But I think it's far better to keep things simple, to keep things biblical, and not to do infant baptism followed up with con with confirmation which a lot of people simply go through because they're of age and for us to reserve baptism for the joyful occasion of becoming a follower of Jesus let's keep baptism for where it belongs and put it to good use and and let it be done the way Jesus told us to do it I also think uh, infant baptism creates disunity among churches and I say to my brothers and sisters that practice infant baptism, I would say to them, why are you placing church tradition and your theological framework over the, the clear teaching of Jesus and the, the practice of the early Christians for the first 200 years? There were many reasons that, that people adopted infant baptism, and many of them are wrong. For example, 
Early on in the history of the church, people had this idea that if a baby were to die and the baby had not been baptized, it would go straight to hell. That became a teaching uh, within the Catholic Church uh, later on. And, and so it became very important for people to baptize their, their child as soon as the child had been born, because hopefully then at least the baby could go to purgatory or limbus patrum. Uh, if not to heaven, and certainly not to hell. So it was this kind of teaching that led rise to infant baptism. It was a fear-driven thing and, and a belief that unless the baby had been baptized, it wouldn't be able to go to heaven because that was what the church taught at certain times when infant baptism was introduced. So there are many traditions that have been brought in that have confused the subject of baptism. Uh, later on, the church had the crazy idea that once you'd been baptized, that would wash away your sins and your sinful nature. And so people would delay baptism to the last possible moment. And so deathbed baptisms became uh, the, in, the in way of doing things because people believed that Baptism washed away sin. And so if you could, if you could save your baptism to, to near the end of your life, preferably moments before you actually died, uh, then your sins would all be sorted out through the power of baptism. So these are all church traditions that have been introduced. And I've already shared with you the, the Reformed Church's idea of baptism that you know, the, the new covenant is taken over from the old covenant and circumcision in the old covenant corresponds with baptism in the new. And that's why and how they're justified baptizing babies. But as I've said, that's not what the scripture teaches. It's the baptism. It is the circumcision of the heart uh, that is that makes you part of the new covenant. So we need to be careful of, of traditions that come in and clutter our thinking. And I think of Jesus when he says in Mark 7, you've let go of the commands of God and you're holding to the traditions of men. And I don't want to be offensive to those who practice infant baptism. But if truth be told, you have let go of the command of God and rather you're holding to the traditions of men. And Jesus said, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And so people do have wonderful arguments and excuses and reasons for why they're doing what they're doing. But at the end of the day, you can't get away, I believe, from the clear teaching of Jesus. And another reason I believe that infant baptism is wrong, not only does it give false hope to people and give a false sense of security that they are saved, but that it, the person then who does become a Christian later in life often misses out on the blessing of baptism, of that ceremony of being welcomed into God's family. And the church too misses out on that blessing. So I hope what I've shared tonight, today, has shed some light on baptism 
It's a, it's a deep subject, it's a complex subject, but I believe we need to preserve the teaching of baptism, we need to keep the teaching of baptism as part of the gospel. It clearly was part of the gospel that got preached in Acts. It uh, was preached to the Ethiopian eunuch and even then the jailer in the middle of the night. Even though it was inconvenient, they couldn't wait at 3 a.m. possibly after their wounds are washed. The jailer is baptized. Saul is baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch says, stop the chariot. I want to be baptized. Because being baptized was the way to respond to the gospel and to begin the journey of being a believer. So thank you for joining with us today.